start my day over right now well it couldn't yeah i mean you know hit the reset button yeah let's kind of you know let's gather our thoughts let's I like, become one with everything what let's be one with everything i want to say i like your scruff that you didn't shave thank I, you I've noticed i'm going for a look it's kind of badass thank you which is like <laughs> badass but even more badass so i uh, my wife was laughing because I, I was like yeah i, I was uh because I'm not like, you know me, I'm not like a fashion guy at all. <laughs> I always think of you as a fashionista. But, but some, somewhere uh, in the past week, I stumbled upon a website. It's like 500 looks for men in their 50s. And I was like, <laughs> all right, well, let's see what I'm not doing right. And it was just about everything. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not a style style yeah. master either so i'm gonna i'm gonna let the scruff grow and scruff I, is cool i ordered a couple of things from the interweb so, all right you know no I, th- <laughs> I don't know i don't know what i'm doing i don't know i've been wearing the same jeans since i'm in high school it was it was easy when i went to work because i know what i have to wear to go to yeah. work put on your right? uniform. the suit and the yeah. you know all that uh but you know now i've been basically in my house for like almost two years yeah and I'm starting to get a little too much leisure wear and people, thing going on. You can see it on the streets. You people can. come into my store and you're like, that person hasn't changed that outfit in two and a half years. And right. um, you can see it on the but we are gonna start our day over. Okay. Here we the go. Let's press the reset up. button. Reset. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike R. And boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA, part two of our groundbreaking, paradigm-shifting, Lollapalooza breakdown analysis of 12 smart things to do when the booze and drugs are gone, and the debut of Monster Speak, a new segment (laughs) pulled from the deep, dark recesses of the RMA private group. All this and more today on a very special edition of RMA. So, uh... Have Welcome. you given much thought to the new segment? Because I haven't. Um, yeah. Oh, first off, yeah. Can I just say Happy Sober October? Sobertober. Yeah. What is that? It's the thing. Every this is the this is the month where people who are sober curious <laughs> sometimes decide to take some time off. So. Well, we welcome the sober October people. I feel like they do that for like. <laughs> For every month, there's a, a word that's sober that rhymes with, it's like sober September. No, but October's the big one, because like... Dry uh, January. Who's that guy from the... Uh, Rogan. Joe yes, Rogan Joe always Rogan. does sober October. Oh. He stops smoking weed. He stops wow. drinking no for DMT. the whole month of October. No, no. DMT. Ayahuasca. Uh, I, I would just like to say yeah. that if alcohol is playing a bigger role in your life than you want it to, uh, if you want to see if living an alcohol-free life can help you in some way, uh, if you want to support and inspire others in your life to be their best, most authentic selves. What are you reading? And if you want to lose a little weight before the holiday rolls around, maybe give Sober October a try. What, what is that? A prepared statement from <laughs> Samsa or something? <laughs> I don't know. It's something I found on the internet. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I mean, you know, seriously, because the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Yeah. And if that step is taking the month of October away from the booze... Yeah, you know, go for it. I think. And uh, how do you eat an elephant? 
one bite at a time. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I always say that to my son. He hates yeah. me when I say he hates when I say that. Yeah, my kids do not like all of those bromides. Um, okay. Bromides? Bromides. Yeah. First, we'd like to welcome all the new people listening here in the USA and around the world. <laughs> That's so cheesy. We <laughs> love hearing from you, so please, if you like what you hear, write a review on your favorite listening platform and share it with a friend. Where can they find us, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> really? I, all right. Where uh, can you can you? find us at middleagesrecovery.com, where you can listen, submit your story, buy awesome merch, and get in touch with us if you so desire. That's I rewrote it. You did. Last night. <laughs> Great reviews will be read on the air. Uh, please log on to your favorite podcast app. Apple Podcasts is best. I hate Apple Podcasts. They fucking suck. Yeah. But they're good for going and leaving reviews. Brought to you by Apple Podcasts. Um, say something nice to massage Mike's delicate ego. That's, that's, Were you supposed to say that? Uh, no, I just wanted you to. <laughs> the discussion continues 24-7, 365 on our Facebook, our private Facebook group found conveniently through our public-facing Facebook page. Did, are you trying to fuck me up with that? <laughs> Some alliteration. For we screen mind. new members. <laughs> uh, that we do. And the discussion is unsearchable, so we can all feel comfortable, safe, and happy. <laughs> Yes. We will not be 13-stepped on our group. Yeah. Buy a t-shirt also. We have awesome new designs available through middleagesrecovery.com shopping page. And if you buy one, Mike will be sure to eventually mail it to you. Ha ha. I mail them out within days that they come in. But I will say this. All of you fat monksters out there. Oh, big boned. Come on. We have an awful lot of... Yes. I'm sorry. It's okay. glandular. You know, I get in trouble now when I say something like that. Um Listen, and this is coming from a guy who lost like 75 pounds. I used to be a Mike big, used to fat be a big dude. Yeah. Uh, we have lots of extra large and extra, extra, extra large sizes to fit your worthy uh, frames. Did we do triple? I think uh, Jeff D. Yeah, we do. We have a lot of big shirts. Recommended that yeah. we get bigger shirts. Yeah. But, um, and there's some stickers you can buy too. Stickers. So buy some stickers. Buy my stickers. <laughs> Um. Yeah, we're getting bigger, man. the 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 group is getting bigger. The listeners are getting well more num- numerous. Yeah, and um, this is why I wanted to do um a segment about the monsters, something from you know, because what I'm noticing on the the private group now is there's actual people on there actually <laughs> having conversations. It's amazing. So it's really cool because, and it's not we don't sit around and like pick apart our show. You know, it's like it's a support group. And um, and I try and get some discussions going, you know, I try and like move it along. Yeah. And so we were getting such good answers to stuff. I thought, you know, people aren't really getting all the way to, from my analysis anyway, to the weak and weird. And um, we're thinking about replacing the segment. If you love weak and weird, write to us at mikear at middleagesrecovery.com. <laughs> Why do you always us? give out my email address? You never funny. give out yours. I think it's funny. <laughs> Mine's anonymous. <laughs> um, but seriously, folks. Um, I like weak and weird because yeah. where else would I find out about cryptozoology and what, yeah. the latest thing that's Listen, been found on the surface of Mars? It's near and dear to my heart. I'm, I'm a huge paranormal radio fan. I've been listening to things like Coast to Coast AM since I'm in college and um like i said i like to talk well, about it but nobody else seems to care i mean our audience is like people who've taken a lot of acid i think yeah perhaps more disposed to believe in bigfoot well today's <laughs> weekend weird is a doozy let me just say that um, oh are you did you pull that from uh from the group also yeah i did yeah that's i'm a like good, that's a good because i was thinking this is our last yeah. week in weird so I no it's not. Do it. don't don't be ridiculous um, but where can they find us mike 
Wait, I think I said you oh. can find us at middleagesrecovery.com. Right. But what I want you all to do is to tell us your story because everybody who is listening to this has a story and it's probably a doozy. Uh, so why don't you go to the website, middleagesrecovery.com, fill out the form that you can find there tell without it, too much hunting and pecking and uh, tell us uh, what led you to the point you are at now in mm. your life. It could be a long story or a shit story. Yeah. I like shit stories. You know what they say, brevity is the soul of wit. So uh, shorter might be, you know, more amenable for broadcast. But, you know, don't, you know what? Screw that. Don't spare any details. I want to know it all. We'll we'll edit out the stuff that we think is irrelevant. (laughs) (laughs) Trust us. Yes. We're Facebook your ass. All right. We have one. So we have one. Uh, 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 Look at this. Uh, Tell us your story. Oh, no. Oh, shnikes. Um. That's the, the okay. Never I'll mind. read. Do you want to read your story? Oh yeah, I, being a woman in your forties. <laughs> I am a woman in my forties. Yeah. Uh, most of the adults in my family were alcoholics, and drinking was very normalized and celebrated. Even though it led to very, very emphasized in the original obvious negative outcomes. When I had my first drink in high school, I had a very similar experience to what Mike described himself having. I felt like I had found the magic elixir to finally let me feel comfortable in my own skin and relax like other people seem to be able to do. I started drinking heavily in college. I, every week. <laughs> Sorry. It is, it is allergy season. Um, I had grown up with some significant trauma, and once I started drinking in college, I ended up getting into many more traumatic situations. This led to more drinking, of course. My drinking was very problematic when I was in college, but since I supported myself financially and I was able to continue working and going to school full-time, I was not forced by anyone to stop. That's interesting. Mm. Daily drinking continued after college until I found this naked mind a couple of years ago. I've heard that a miracle is just a shift in perception, and this is how I see the change I experienced through this naked mind. This is so important, that sentence right there. Yeah. A miracle is a shift in perception. Yeah. That's why miracles happen in in sobriety all the time in recovery. People shift their perception. Yeah, and even in uh, AA, they talk about a psychic change, and uh, I experienced that as well. Um, For me, it wasn't a white light, you know, in one second, all of a sudden— but over time, I began to notice that my views were just completely different. Almost like I was a different, there's a different pilot in this, you know, ship. In this meat suit yeah. that you're wearing. Yeah. Um, so you weren't like Bill W., you weren't tripping on Belladonna when you had your spiritual experience? No, I mean, when I, <laughs> when I did take acid, I, it was spiritual. But, that, um, but my sober uh, white light moment, you know, happened over time. Right. Um. But I found that I would have... Dif- I'm continuing the story now, just in case you know. But I found that I would have difficulty staying completely sober, even with the perception change. My friends and family are still very steeped in alcohol culture, which has me around alcohol a lot. Your podcast and the RMA Facebook page have been very helpful to me, and I feel like I'm on the path again. I also really love the books you suggest. I feel like I am in a recovery community for the first time. Yeah. I think the books you suggest and the reflection involved in reading them is finally helping me do the work people always reference in recovery talk. I've been to therapy for years, so I thought I had been doing the work. Uh, Thank you so much and keep up the good work, please. Thank you so much for that. Um, It's really, really amazing to me and um, very cool and humbling that we've been able to get people to coalesce around the show and 
you know, just to form a safe place. And, you know, I, I got a lot of Facebook communities in recovery when I finally got over my fear. Um, you know, the Dopey Nation being the big one and, um, and several others. But, I right. mean, I thought it would be really cool to have a nice, intimate, you know, therapeutic community of people who are kind of along the same lines as we are. And, um, eh, it's really cool. We, um, we've got a review um, the review is uh, so helpful and fun. Did that print out on yours? It did oh, on mine. Thank God. I'm, I'm sc- frantically scrolling I'm trying to find it. It's from Liz BS 2002. These guys are so genuine. I feel like I'm sitting around with them having an NA, a non-alcoholic beer, and just talking about recovery. Their stories are great, not like other podcasts where the hosts catch up for the first part, and it's irre- mostly irrelevant. Ir- Relevant drivel. Isn't that he, what we do? <laughs> I, you know, and th- that's the thing. I'm like, should she have been reviewing it? Was she trying to review a different podcast? So we do a lot of irrelevant drivel. Thank you. We're doing it right now. They are always talking about recovery one way or another. That's true. They that's are busy true. professional guys with families taking time to help others in this journey. Thanks, Mike and Nat. And thank you, Liz. Yeah, thanks um, a lot. No, but I've never been uh, referred to as professional before. So <laughs> very, very thankful for that. We're professional recovery podcasters now. Yeah, I mean, look, if people on average are listening to 65% of each of our shows... which You really is, hug up on that. I, I am, because what does that mean? So people get 60% of the way to the show, and then most of them drop off. Yeah, because... They don't want to hear we can Because our shows are long. Because it's all about me, don't you see? <laughs> they just don't like me. Here's the thing. What? You... Uh, okay, so I listen to Dopey every week, right? right. I listen mm-hmm. to Dopey on Saturday mornings. When I lace on my sneakers, I go off for a run. Now, Dave could have a show that's an hour, two hours, whatever. When the run is over, I press stop on the dopey, and that's it. Mm. I'm done. And I think a lot of people who have commutes who listen to us on a commute, mm. they'll drive there, whatever, 40-something minutes. Well, and when they get there, they turn it off, and that's it. Well, you know, so, I know. I don't know. But I don't think it's a commentary on the week and weird. Everybody loves the week I and just, weird. I just want the show to be good all the way through. And I want people to like it. I, I think it is. Because I, I, I'm a people pleaser. And we'll talk about... These are a bunch of addicts and yeah. alcoholics. They I have know. no attention span. <laughs> I know. What are you, I can't what are you even, expecting yeah. out of it, people? Um, I had a pretty crazy... I always say this, but the week seems to get crazier and crazier. Um, so my old... My, my last outpatient rehab place um, that I finally graduated from is in our town. Um and uh, and uh, I was there about two years. When I had my OD, I was there. Uh, and then I stayed another year after that. So I got to know these people very well. I still keep in touch, you know, because incidentally through my church, um, we do a lot of uh, charity work with them. So it's like yeah. really close to home. Yeah, that is now, close. Because of anonymity by law, they don't know that I'm there. Right. So it's been almost four years. Uh, and uh, I get a call at my shop from my old therapist. Yes, Was from, this yesterday? Yeah. Okay. This was yesterday. I hadn't planned on talking about this at all. Why is she calling? First, she just wanted to hear how I was doing, and, you know, she was saying how much, you know, she got out of our sessions, which is kind of funny because That's I'm weird. supposed to get... Yeah, right. She, <laughs> I really got a lot out of, you know, talking to you, and I'm like, well, thank you. You know, I'm, I'm doing great. She goes, I know you're probably going to say no, but I've been asked to ask you, but from the director, if you would speak at a fundraiser for us hey. and tell your story because it's so inspirational and you're a pillar in the community and blah, blah, blah. And I said, 
yeah, wow, I was really flattered. Mm -hmm. And um, it made me think about, you know, what I have accomplished, you know, because I'm always sort of self-deprecating. But uh, and then she said, I know that this could be a really big ask for you because I'm in the community. A lot of the people on the board of that place go to my church, are my customers. Right. And I was thinking, you know what, it's not a, a shame thing as much as it's a um, it's a privacy issue. Yeah, right. You know, because my family and people don't understand. No. Um, well, this, the stigma is still exists and it's still very real. Yeah. So, and it sucks because I would love to say a bunch of nice things and tell the people the, that are supposed to donate to them how important it is and how, you know, everybody... Yeah should have a chance and you know uh so i what i recommended i said let me write something mm-hmm. i'll write my experience in an anom- anonymous letter and you can read it i think that's a good um, suggestion and that's what we're going to do and as my old therapist you know she c- can't stop therapizing me and she was like you know this could be really good for your recovery <laughs> you're gonna write it out you should you know you should think about all you've accomplished and um and it was a nice conversation. That right? was a freebie, she, right? Uh, yeah, it was free. <laughs> and she, it was funny because she brought up, we had a few contentious moments where I was screaming and cursing at her. And she Yesterday? Said, Not yesterday, oh. but during over the course of therapy. Right. And she's a nice old lady, you know. She's, But she was pushing me, you know. Sometimes therapists, they want you, because I have a pretty stone-cold face, you know, in therapy. Mm-hmm. I used to. And so they push your buttons until they get an emotion at me. So one time she really pissed me off. Um, like your kids. Yeah. And she brought that up. She goes, well, you know, we had our, you know, rough times. And I was like, yeah, it's all part of the game, Barbara. You know, I get it. Right. I said, you're not doing your job if I'm not getting emotional. <laughs> um, anyway, it was just really cool to kind of like look at reflecting uh back on, you know, what maybe doesn't feel like an accomplishment all the time because life is difficult. Um, it is. It's a huge accomplishment. It is. I mean, um, compared to where you were a few years ago, Nat, I mean, you know, thank thank God, right? I mean, yeah. um, thank you. Something that, 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 okay. So this blew my mind a little when you told me this yesterday because I'm like, okay, that's, well, it didn't blow my mind till later in the day, but I was like, okay, well, that's really cool. You know, Nat's therapist reaching out, wants him to do this. So we had that conversation yesterday around noon that somebody offered. At about five o'clock, I checked my email and in my inbox is an email from a lawyer from California who also is on the board of this uh, nonprofit organization that helps lawyers who are struggling with alcohol and substance abuse and uh, just general poor health conditions. Right. And she asked me to speak at a conference in January, uh, a A virtual one. Uh, I guess they're still doing virtual, but because she heard me on Annie Grace. Oh my God. And she wanted to put a panel together. And she's like, I might be able to get Annie Grace on the panel. And I was, <laughs> and I was like, uh, wow. and I was like, ah, do I really want to, do I really want to put myself out there? You know, and I went through a lot of the stuff yeah. that going on. I and this is a little more attenuated for me, but I am sure that there are lawyers oh, yeah. in this group that will know me. Yeah, right? definitely. I, I know of a couple that I suspect are in recovery that I've worked with, you know, recently, but <laughs> But, you know, there's one, one thing in AA, you know, you know me, I don't ascribe to a ton of the stuff that they say. Right. But one thing that I remember reading somewhere was like, say yes to everything. Yeah. 
until you have so many yeses and, uh, that you have to say no or something, something yeah, along those You're lines. never supposed to turn down requests for speaking or right. making coffee. Right. Um, but, I, but I think it was bigger than that in AA. I think it was also like, you know, when you're trying to rebuild your sober life, say yes to all these opportunities. Yeah. And event. I don't know if it was from there or from um, I've heard that false it. graph revelation or na- something Joseph now said. Um, so I, I wrote her back and I was like, sure, you know, I'll do it. <gasps> you're doing it? Yeah, I'm going to do oh, it. Oh, man. Yeah. That's I, told so her to cool, send me, man. I, I told her to send me the email with the information. Uh, you know, I was a little like uh, hesitant at first. But I think I'm going to do it because... That's uh, really cool. It, yeah. it, it's nice. But isn't it... But, isn't that weird that the universe dropped that on both of us in the same day? It is. Like of all the days? It is. That's like some weird synchronicity, don't you think? Well, we are synchronized. Yeah, but to Tandem the point where sponsors. other people are offering us <laughs> it's, opportunities on the same day that are very similar to one yeah, another. Yeah, and it's it's such a trip to be asked to speak, you know, because I go around thinking, you know, that I don't have anything that... Um, profound to say or uh, you know i always think of other people's struggles and how much worse it is and all of that but you know there's it it feels nice to be like someone wants to hear your perspective um and they think you did something good speaking of doing something good a couple weeks ago now you sent a a fellow off to to rehab any updates on that situation yeah just to be clear um and he may be listening because i actually sent him this podcast so um steven if you're listening it was really cool to meet you i didn't get him into so you know i kind of this is a friend of a friend um a friend of and uh and he was really just having a rough time she didn't know what to do i think he talked about this a little bit and i sort of you know from a distance was like you know uh, just giving her suggestions, like, here's what I did. Here's what sounds like would work for him. And you, you give those kinds of advice, you give that kind of advice out, and you half expect it's just not going to happen. Right. This particular gentleman has done it. He, you know, went to, his, to the um, medical detox, and he went to the same rehab that I went to. And I was sort of, you know, uh, I like gave him a book, uh, you know, the Just for Today book to, you know, thumb through and put my number in it. And uh, and that was like 22 days ago or something. In any case, he also, um, I had some of his belongings at my shop because my friend asked me to hold them for him because right. he didn't have anywhere else to go. And so he ultimately had to come pick up his stuff and I got to meet him. And it was just really, it was really cool. Like you could see in his eyes that he's like, he's like my age. Um, he, we're a lot alike too, which is weird. Like we have a lot in common. Mm. Um, and uh, it was just really satisfying to see, but I, it wasn't like, yay, look what I did. I really had this f- like feeling of, I'm so happy that he did this and that he's healthier, and just this sad, even though I don't know him, he's really not, like, we're not, I mean, we're friends now, but basically a stranger, but just to see, you know, to hear where he was, and then to see where he's at now, and the sort of, you know, vigor that he's got in his voice about recovery, and it's not his first time in recovery, but, you know, you can see there was a change, and does that mean he's never going to relapse again? No, who knows? I hope he does. Hopefully not, Steve. But, he, you know, <laughs> hang in there, buddy. You're on a, a great trajectory and um, he's going to meetings and it's really amazing to see. And it's a trip. Awesome. Um, and what a blessing. And I get to meet him. Um, you know, I was just very nervous to be too close to something like this. So when it first started happening, sure, I was very uncomfortable because I'm like, I don't know if I can. Right. You know, if it triggers me, but I, I kept, you know, a decent boundary and space and. 
uh, it's a good feeling. And that's your 12 step. That's your carrying the message, hopefully. And, uh, you know, I plan to, um, I don't know, keep in touch with him. I told him, call me anytime. And, um, and I mean it. Yeah. That's the best part of this kind of thing. I said, my phone is, and this is what guys have said to me when I started, my phone is on 24 seven for recovery related. Right. You're having an emergency or you need to talk to somebody. It doesn't, I don't care what time it is. You call me because mm-hmm. it's helping me too to help someone else. That's right. So you're working on your own recovery by, you know, being there. So it was really cool. Awesome. And I'm really happy for him. And if you're listening, um, yeah, nice to meet you. I'm really <laughs> <laughs> I got to ask him about, cause I went to that same rehab. That's why I recommended it. And, um, and he got the Vivitrol shot, uh, you know, that cause they, and that's just going to increase his chances and um, yeah. it's not Deal a magic bullet, but yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So that was very cool. But uh, you did something on Saturday that's, I don't know, worth mentioning? I don't know. What did you do? Uh, so, you know, I take pictures of birds. You do? Stuff. That's yes. one of my hobbies. You and Sergeant Slaughter have we, that in common. We do. We do. Um, they were having a raptor day. Uh, you know the the Vanderbilts? You know, the the, the big family that yeah. where they... No, Morgan was steel. Vanderbilts were what, the railroad or something? I don't know what they did. I anyway, know they have a... A museum that we go they to. do and a planetarium yeah and it was originally like cornelius vanderbilt's planetarium it's amazing and now it's like turned into like a planetarium that you can go and there's buy a tickets na- there's yeah. a natural history museum there, on the premises there is have you ever gone in there yeah it's like a little microcosm of the one in the city with like the stuffed animals it's they, really yeah. cool it's, it's awesome it's like some guy's old weird mansion filled with stuffed tigers and stuff like yeah that. yeah it's, it is it is totally off the off the wall um but they run programs there every once in a while. And, and this past Saturday, they ran a raptor program. Raptors being like hawks and kestrels and owls and, mm. you know, eagles, that sort of thing. Yeah, a lot of people don't even know that it's there. Uh, but it is very cool. It is. So we took the, I took uh, two-thirds of the kids there. And, um, you know, they ran around and played tag, which is nice to see my son, uh, Jack, sort of having a good time since he's been kind of miserable at the school, you know, I've mentioned that he's going to. But... Uh, but the, you know, I think he's getting a little better with that. Like he, he got very excited. They're doing a trip to Gettysburg in the next couple of oh, weeks. Oh, cool. Yeah. Most and so haunted places on earth. Yeah, for sure. Right. It's spooky. 68,000 people died there in three days. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It was a good day for hawking or whatever I took, but there's something weird about taking pictures of hawks and, yeah, and things I'd, like when they're on I'd a perch, it's like it's very not, weird. it's, I don't like those kind of, <laughs> you mean in general, I was going to say it's extremely strange. I'm just, I'm just talking about when they're following capped. the hawks around with a camera, but listen, I, I consider myself to be like a national geographic explorer, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Probably that's in my own mind. Um, yeah, I like your, I like your photographs. I think they're really good. Thank you. Um, well, that's cool. I had a. Um, I always talk about my Sunday fun day. Now, <laughs> this Sunday, I had so much fun that I nearly killed myself. I was so tired and beat up. I was like almost like sick on Monday. Mm. Um, but I really felt like I had to make up for lost time. But it was just so crazy. We had church, and then we had. Um, and we went to the park, and then I took Noah to see Chung Chi, which is the new Marvel Excuse ca- me? karate movie. Oh, that's what it's actually called? Yeah. It sounded like you were making fun of China, Chinese yeah. language. Um, Chung Chi. So, um, 
That was my phone. Was that and, good? And so, yeah, I wanted to, to, to That's say, got the lady from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes, I love Michelle her. Yeoh. Uh, I wanted to... Um, I wanted to give it my review, and it's, I give it four out of five stars. It's very exciting. I took my 10-year-old to it, and um, it, was, it was really cool. Um, four out of five stars, I recommend it. But, like, man, uh, by the end of that day, you know, I thought I had done a good thing. I th- you know, I took my son. We had a, uh, a daddy and Noah day. And he's like, oh, I want to meet my friends at the park. And I'm like, oh. dude, really? And I was, I had a really bad headache. I ran out of blood pressure medication, and I was getting a, bl- a blood pressure headache. And uh, what is that? It's like if your blood pressure gets too high, and you, and, you know, if I'm not taking my blood pressure medication and I have salty stuff, you get right. a headache. Because huh. um, it's like you know, you're, you have a stroke if you have too high. Jesus head. Christ! Yeah, I have really bad blood pressure, but um, and so I was like, fine. I parked the car at the park. It was beautiful out. He met these girls, you know, his like girlfriend, and um, <laughs> he's a little player, your kid. <laughs> yeah, he's a funny kid, and um, but I was so tired, and I sat there and I listened to one of my books in the car, and then when it was time to go. You know, I called him, and he was just really, like, nasty. He was kind of, like, showing off, I mm, feel like, to yep, his friends. Yep, that's what they do. And um, he said some really nasty shit, and then, like, I, but I didn't say anything. I was just like, I go, what are you talking about, man? And then he's, like, hangs up on me, and then I'm like, okay, how am I going to deal with this? And I, I was <laughs> almost ready to just drive home clear his room out, you know, get, take his computer out, turn off his phone. I'm like, I'm not even going to scream. I am just going to right. show Hit him, him where it hurts, where it's at. <laughs> and, um, and I think he must have sensed or his friends might've said, I can't believe you just said that to your father, you right. know, uh, because he, and he never apologizes. He's not an apologizer, yeah. you know, which is annoying, but he called back. It was like a couple of minutes as I was marching to go find him mm-hmm. and then like physically remove him and embarrass the shit out of him. Right. He called and was like, oh, hey, daddy. I'm like, hey, Noah. And he's like, um, sorry about that. Um, I just really want to hang out later. I'm like, it's okay. I said, you know, but we don't talk like that, you know, not especially not to your dad, you know. And he goes, yeah, yeah I know. I'm really sorry. I'm like, it's all right. Well, you good. Know? He apologized. He apologized. But. By the end of that day, I was so emotionally and physically just beat up, man. Like, What'd I, you do? Smoke a doobie, go no, to bed? I mean, that's what I would have done. I mean, and this type of stuff happens to everybody, you know? It's like, this is just the, the thorns of life type of thing. And, man, I would have gone straight to 7-Eleven, gotten myself a Four loco. And, you know, downed it before I got home so I could at least have a little buzz on before I had to deal with... What's a four loco? It's just... A I've re- heard of these things. It, it's like a, um, it's a malt liquor. It's oh, like a very sweet... Okay. Like old E800? Yeah. It used to be like uh, energy drink with um, with lots of alcohol oh, and sugary. But okay. I don't know if they're still doing that. I feel like it got pulled for legal reasons or something. <laughs> but I just wanted to... You know, because as I'm experiencing this, and and this is something that happens because of this podcast, I always start thinking of things in terms of, I'm sorry, in terms of the podcast and, um, and you know, what kind of, what I could talk, say about it. And it also, it just helps me to process it, you know. Well, that I mean? might be a little bit of your your Buddhism light too that you've, you've been listening to. What's his face? Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. Tolle, who's telling, probably tells you to think before you, or 
be in the moment and not react. Don't right. be so reactive, right? Right. But I'm experiencing this feeling of like, it made me think of having a sober bottom, which is something people have talked about in the past. I've hmm. never been sober long enough to have one. But basically, it's that feeling of being at an emotional bottom and just like feeling like shit and not wanting to, you know, go on. But you're not using. Um, and so a lot of people report that they, you know, experience these emotional bottoms and it's coming out of it without relapsing. Cause if you relapse, you just call it a relapse. Right. But if you hit the bottom while you're sober and come out of it still sober, you hit an emotional bottom. I see. Um, but I mean, some would say that that's just kind of life, right? I mean, like yeah. people have these cycles of life and, and depression is something that can certainly exist outside of the existence of alcohol or drugs. I mean, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, depression and anxiety are not uh, necessarily always tied in with using. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can, you can, things can become overwhelming and. Absolutely. I I think it's, it's one of those things that they give it a name uh, in recovery because so many people who have long-term sobriety, when you first start having these feelings and start feeling this way and you almost feel hung over the next day, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you need to just put a name to it. Sort of like when you're exercising a demon, you have, once you find the name of the demon that's uh, possessing the person, you have power over it to like, bring it back to spooky season. Like Belzebub? Yeah. So um, it, it was just, it was really interesting. It made me think out loud, sort of like, you know, I wonder, has anybody out there experienced a sober bottom and how do you get out of it? Um, I mean, the next day I felt like I, w- I really was like sick. I, I wasn't myself when I got to my uh, other job. Um, even even my coworkers were like, are you okay? That type mm, of thing. Right. And I couldn't shake it off, man, the whole day until I went to bed that night. And then the next day I was better. Mm. Maybe um, you were overtired too. You've been burning yeah. the candle at both ends. You know? So my Sunday fun day turns out to be not as much fun as um, as it as it could have been, but I survived. Here I am. And Glad that, you're still with us, Nat. That was Sunday. Um, so, just shifting gears, I I made the mistake of donating some money to a couple political candidates at one point in the last few years. <laughs> Are you getting emails? Uh, worse, I'm getting phone calls. Oh. Uh, but I'm getting phone calls from the actual candidates, which is always a little strange. Um, like. In my old podcast that I used to have, I would occasionally interview someone who was running for something locally here right. on the island. And I interviewed a woman who was running for Congress against uh, Tom Swazi, who's our current congressman. Mm-hmm. And that was like one of her first press things. So she's always been sort of like, you know, reaches out to me when she's making a move to do something else, whatever. Um, but so I picked up the phone and I never pick up the phone. I don't know why I answered the phone this time, (laughs) but I answered it and she's like, hi, it's so-and-so. And And I said, oh, hey, how you doing? Um, and she's, you know, going on and on about, uh, running for Congress again and so forth. And I said, well, well, how can I help you? And it was okay. It was money. so, So I'm like, sure. You know, and she's like, are you still doing the podcast? And I said, I thought for a second, and I said, you know what? I'm not doing that podcast anymore, but I am doing another one. And then she says, what's it about? And I was like, hmm. I said, <laughs> well, I said, it's a friend of mine and myself started a podcast to help people who are in middle ages uh, or middle-aged 
uh, recover from drug and alcohol addiction. Mm. And there was just this, <laughs> this silence wow. on the, in the phone. Uh, and I can't believe like, you said that. I did. And, wow. and I said, and we just passed our 50,000th download this past week. Right. And, and Back she, it up with a little, right, hey, this right. is no bullshit here. So I said, so I'm still in the podcast game. and uh, But, you know, it, it's strange because I, you know... It's not like I don't walk around town advertising that we do this podcast to everybody I meet, and it's especially not to people who are running for Congress. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I put it out there, and then when I hung up, I felt really good that somebody, you know, knows about that and knows that that's an issue that I'm concerned about. And maybe if she, right. you know... If she is going to have some power. Right. And then, you know, maybe I'll reach out to her and say, you remember that podcast that I told you I was doing? You yeah. know, now let's... let And that money that I gave you, now let's, remember start, that? let's start talking about getting some getting some funding mm. for, for addiction and recovery and some into some bills, you know? That's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. And that's what I was planning on doing to speaking at this... Um, this uh, outpatient place that I was going to speak yeah. to the fundraiser because, you know, if I'm speaking directly to people who are supposed to give money, I really wanted them to hear how important it is right. and what it, you know, was for me and all of that. And so, you know, that's, that's really, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad but, I did it. I did, conversely though, I was talking to my boss the other day and my boss doesn't know that I quit drinking. Um, we talk on the phone a few times a week. He's more like a friend than a boss at this point. That's but, cool. Um, but still like it always comes up like, uh, you know, we hired some new people, uh, you know, at work and we're talking about, he's like, yeah. And then we all have to get together and have, you know, we'll have beers at some point. And I was like, yeah, it sounds great, man. I wonder, you know, and I'm starting talking to them about alcohol and beer and I'm not mentioning that I'm not drinking. And I'm like, why am I doing that? I've done that before too. It's this feeling that like, when somebody says that to you, they're attempting to like generate some camaraderie. Yes. You know, yeah. and you don't want to throw cold water on that. Sorry, I stopped drinking two years ago. Yeah, yeah, I'm an alcoholic <laughs> asshole. Now you've triggered me, and I'm going to go fucking drink. Like, I get it, I get it. But but when you do finally say it, like, I've had a couple of these interactions with other dads and stuff, and mm-hmm. uh, when I finally just be like, oh, man, I haven't had a drink in four years, and they're, they're always like, oh, oh. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but we can still have fun. That's um, really, you just reminded me of something. Yeah. And... You're right. And and I actually with this thing at work, I planned it out when I go back how I'm gonna how I'm gonna sell it. You're just gonna show at up at the conferences. It, right? They're gonna no, think you're well, drunk. I thought like, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll do what I did, you know, before COVID with the in that the few months between when I quit and at the end of July and when COVID happened the following March, I went to a few conferences and what I did was I got myself a little glass of ginger ale on the rocks with a lemon twist and, and yeah. you know everybody thought it was scotch or whatever and yeah. fill up an empty beer bottle with water <laughs> you know drink that i would get the beer from the bar pour it out mm-hmm. put water in it nice right well, that's a good trick yeah oh. except when people are like hey you need another one yeah, yeah. here's your shot <laughs> but uh yeah so i i figured i planned on this time just saying you know Right before the pandemic, I quit for a little while because I was I was trying to lose some weight. And then when the pandemic happened, I decided I wasn't going to go continue drinking because so many people were having such issues with it. And then I just haven't had a drink since because I feel so good. That's kind of how mm. I was going to play that. Yeah, you know, well, it's good people to, don't really need to you know know the details, no. but and we get so wrapped up thinking, what are they going to think and right. what are they? They don't care. They, nobody cares. Uh, yeah. Who who is it that said if people 
only realized how little other time other people spend thinking about you. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. most people are so self-absorbed. They don't think about you much at all, you know. And, and that's actually, that's a, a great segue. We're getting into this book that we're discussing today eventually. 12 uh, Smart eventually. Things to Do When Booze <laughs> and Drugs Don't Work. But I just have one, I have one yep. more. One more yeah, little yeah. thing, and I, I apologize. Do, we have to, yeah. We, I know. Go on. It's because it was. Uh, Get it out. It was. The, Get it all. My out. son's school had an open house the other night. Uh, my son Jack. Yes. You know. So I go to the open house, and I run into a couple that I knew fifteen years ago mm-hmm. uh, in my other life. You know, I, you know, I was married before my right. wife passed away, and so on. She was friends with my late wife right right and she's married to a cop um and used to hang out with them all the time the husband great guy but a big big boozer yeah so we used to drink together a lot and uh we start to talk about the school and everything how we haven't seen each other in a while and then we stand outside in the hallway and he goes yeah yeah, i quit drinking 10 years ago Huh? And I was like, I quit drinking two years yeah, ago. <laughs> me too. That's so cool. It was just so strange that he that he just popped that out as like the first thing. Yeah. Maybe because his memory of the time that we spent together right. was a lot of he, he hoisting to, glasses. He at wanted to various make sure bars. that you weren't going to offer him out for a beer. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's uh, happening sorry. more just and more and more. So many people are quitting. Um, yeah. It's really cool. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's it. I'm sorry. The. Uh, the last thing I'm going to get to, we'll um, we'll figure out where this do this other thing. Um, so, um, last thing I want to get to before we get to the main topic, um, I got a message from. We were just talking about Jeff D, our T-shirt oh, extra- yeah. guy extraordinaire. He's right. a, you know a super fan. Hadn't heard from him in, in a while. I got a uh, I got a message from him on Signal, which is like this weird messaging app that I'm not sure why we have to use it. He, um, you, and me, I think, are the only people that use it. Yeah, it's weird, but he, like, really wants it. So, you know, we meet him where he's at. Right. That's what we do. And <laughs> That's what we do. I got signal. <laughs> and um, he's like, I got this, you know, story I got to tell you. It's, you know, I think it'll be really good for the show. Uh, it's too much to text. Could you call me? And I'm like, huh. I'm like, I was just thinking about Jeff. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'll call you because I'm really curious. I want to hear how Jeff's doing. You know, he's... and. um so I called him, and he basically laid out this whole saga um, with his wife, Bianca, um, and they thought it would be really, you know, important for us to kind of talk about it on the show. It involves Kratom. I'm not mm. going to tell the whole story because we're actually going to get Jeff and Bianca on yeah. to tell her story, and it's it's a, basically the dark side of Kratom. Now, I talk about <laughs> how much, side. you know, that I love Kratom. I take it with my coffee in the morning. When I don't have it, I'm fine. Um, and it really has just kind of helped me in the same way that coffee does. It doesn't mm. make me high. I don't get dizzy or tired. It's just, you know, another... But I take a very little bit, you know, like micrograms. You're um, microdosing Kratom. Yeah, it's... Um, and so, I, you know, but still, I want all of the stories to be out there. I want to cover all sides of these things, you know? And so Bianca, Jeff's wife, had a really rough experience. She was on Kratom for, she told me, like eight years. And then her wow. consumption, you know, she was doing a, like putting like a tablespoon in orange juice or a chocolate shake. But you can, you know, if you do that much of it, it really do develop a dependency. And what she found when she tried to stop was she, she had horrific um, withdrawal symptoms that, 
Jeff, who, you know, had recovered, had recovered from uh, heroin, he said he remembers that it looks just like heroin withdrawal and huh. maybe even worse. Wow. And uh, so Bianca is actually, they were really great on the phone. And um, she was like, I'm a writer too. And I've, I'm writing my experience and all of that. And I said, you know, put it on, you know, type it up. Maybe we can, you know, bring this message to the people, the monsters, and have you guys come and tell the story. Uh, and anyway, I'm, I'm so happy that Bianca and Jeff got through this. She's got a few days where she's feeling good finally. It's taken her a while to recover. And she's like ready to tell her story. And she also wants to make sure that there's information out there. And now that we have a little bit of reach with this podcast, you know, to get this, because when she was trying to get information about withdrawal from Kratom, there was not much for her to find. So she wanted yeah. to catalog and kind of uh, warn people. So well, let's let's definitely get them on the show and and soon mm-hmm. and have them talk about the experience. I think that would be great. All right. Well, with that, I think it's time to move on to our main topic discussion. No, did, did we? Um, were we going to do the Munster Speak segment that we t- we you want to do that now? promoted in the yeah. Beginning. Did you have another spot for it? I just saw it on the outline before the main topic. So the monsters speak. <laughs> Grant. Okay. So um, I put out a post on the private group. Um, if you're on there, if you're not on there, you should join it. We put little thought experiments out there, uh, and people kind of you know give their opinions, and we discuss it. Yeah. And so I just made a post. I said, "Is there anything that you guys want me to mention on right. the show at all?" Um, you know, post it here. Maybe we'll fit it in. And so Grant, there was a couple, but Grant was the first. And I thought it was kind of an interesting topic. He said uh, he wanted to to know like what we thought or to discuss drug and drinking dreams. So like, I don't know if you're in recovery. I think everybody has experienced these dreams where, you know, you you find yourself in an old scenario oh, yeah. or one where there's a ton of just you know, drugs on the table and you do it, you Mm -hmm. know, and then you wake up and it's confusing. Like, did I just use or I didn't, but is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Hmm. And, um, and so that's what, uh, you know, he wanted us to touch on. Uh, so I don't know. Do you have drinking and drug dreams? I had a lot. I used to have them a lot more. I haven't had them so much lately, but, um, I had one maybe six, seven months ago, uh, that I was smoking crack again, which is weird because I haven't had a crack smoking dream in a very, very, very long time. Wow. Uh, Did you I, feel it in yes, the dream? Yes, I got high. Wow. Yeah, it was fucking awesome. <laughs> but when you woke up. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Uh, when I woke up, I was I was disquieted would perhaps be the word I would use. A uh, little freaked out, but I didn't consider it like a relapse or anything. I mean, you know. <laughs> you know, th- this came up in, in a rehab on one of my outpatients. Uh, and I'll never forget what the counselor said because, I don't know, it just resonated with me. Somebody else asked, you know, I had drug dreams. Is that bad? Does that mean I'm deteriorating? Does that mean I'm like hmm. going to relapse? And uh, the counselor said that the using dreams are usually a norm- normal, healthy outlet for those unconscious and sometimes conscious desires to return to the well-worn neural pathways in the brain. Okay. He concluded by saying that what is important to pay attention to is how you react to it upon awakening. Are you relieved? Are you longing for oh, more? I was totally relieved that yeah. it, I hadn't actually... So, yeah, so his yeah. point was this is just your brain kind of working out, you know, things you've did, done a thousand times. And, right. and this is the way it's doing it. 
And uh, it's sort of a healthy way of working it out. Well, what does it mean when it comes when I have a dream like that after not having smoked crack in thirty some odd years? It, it's in your subconscious still, it's, yeah, still, still, still kicking around in there. Well, unless you saw it on TV and it's in your head, but like you know, your brain. Oh, maybe is still, that's it. Maybe I came across. You yeah. know what? How could we not doing this podcast? Like, I, you know, I, I'm exposed to things here I haven't thought about in decades. You know, yeah, it's interesting. So um, that was Monsters Speak. It's my proposed new replacement. For, I like it. Um, for the week and weird to see if we can get people uh, to listen to the back end of the show. Never replace the week and uh, weird. We're just making the show longer at this point. <laughs> Um, so, uh, with that, we're going on to the main topic discussion, 12 things, 12 smart things to do when the drugs and booze stop working by Dr. Ham Berger, uh, or so just Dr. Berger. If you guys didn't catch uh, part one of this, I would suggest going back to last week and listening to that first, because otherwise this isn't going to make much sense. Uh, basically last week we started on the, the review or discussion of the 12 smart things book by Dr. Berger, um, Part one was basically, uh, what, what did we talk about last week? It was sort of a, a background of emotional sobriety and how it's as important as physical sobriety uh, in terms of, of keeping, actually emotional sobriety leads to continued regular old sobriety. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and vice versa, I think, um, or, you know, that this emotional sobriety idea, I mean, it sounds like, you know, when I'm reading this book or listening to this book, he's saying things about emotional sobriety that I'm like, yes, yeah. that's what I've been trying to do. Yes. And these are the revelations I've been making, like, oh, and he refers to it a lot as a growing up. Yes. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. Um, he talks about how it's sort of like becoming an actual adult, that this emotional differentiation, which means you're separating how you feel and your inner feelings to someone else, something they've said or they've done. Right. Or, you know, trying to, and then that is truly growing up, quote unquote, or finally becoming self-actualized. Well, you keep a strong, yeah. a, a strong center, central identity that you know who you are and you're not like some zealot like character that just takes on the characteristics of the people around you, both emotionally, right. spiritually, physically, you know. I mean, we all do that as humans to some degree, right? We change our personality somewhat depending on the situation yeah. we're in. And we do it to to get by, to create not, you know, create any controversy and and sometimes that can we can take that a little too far to the point where we lose the sense of what makes us right. us. Right. So um the book is called, of course, 12 Smart Things to Do When the Drugs and Booze Stop Working. So we decided that this week we were going to take four of those things because to take 12 would take another two weeks probably uh, and just kind of go through them a little bit and talk about you know, how, what he has to say about them in the book. So the first smart thing is to know yourself, right? Know thyself. Know thyself. I don't like the thy and <laughs> thou. And the it's too, too biblical. Know yourself. Know yourself. So, which, which really means to be able to differentiate between your false self, right, and your real self. The false self being the self that is... That you project that you pro and that you create yeah. based on what, what everybody else thinks of you to... Like, to so th what this is at its essence, the false self at its essence is, is like a distillation of people-pleasing, mm. right? right? That you're willing to compromise your morals, compromise your beliefs just to get along. Right, you know? right. Um, and he has this wonderful example, probably the best thing, my favorite part of the book, 
was the example that he gives of the bonsai tree. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, have you ever seen a bonsai tree? I actually had a bonsai tree in my shop. I really wanted one for Father's Day a couple of years ago, and uh, it died. It but died. I, really, I still have the bonsai clippers. I love bonsai trees. But you realize, like, what goes into making one of those. Like, the bonsai artist, he works, you know, patiently over years to constrain what should be a full-size tree into a tiny version of it of a tree it's pretty wild you know there's lots of pruning you have to wrap wires around the branches to shape them you actually deprive them of water so that their growth is stunted Mm. uh you trim the roots so it fits into a tiny little pot yeah i love them and uh such a tree becomes perfect to look at and yet and yet I remember that from the narration. Uh, It's not its true self. It's a tree that's made to conform to a vision of miniature perfection. Isn't that crazy? Mm. So we're like those bonsai trees, you know? Um, Every one of us was anxious or hurt in some way, whether real or perceived as a child, and we developed an image of how we should be in order for the world to love us, a set of rules that if we follow them would make us, quote, perfect, so uh, he says, if we're honest, we'll see that our rules have made bonsai of us, bonsai of the soul. Huh. Isn't that crazy? We're, we're so afraid that our true self is like something negative and unlovable right. that we, uh, we coil our soul with wire, uh, drink just enough water to stay alive, but never enough to quench, and we trim our roots. We spend years warping our true self into a false self. Um, you know, a few of us are really good at it, and we come across to other people as like perfect or perfectionists, mm. but we've actually re- constrained our true self in an attempt to be loved. What do you think? I think that sort of encapsulates all of my struggles um, in sobriety and even beforehand. But these are all of, it's sort of, yeah, it really just kind of makes me think a little more you know, closely, I'm thinking more about all of these, like my imposter syndrome we talked about. Mm-hmm. I think I don't deserve what I have or I didn't right. earn anything. And I'm, if you really knew who I was for, for real, um, you wouldn't like me. And going back to when I was very duplicitous in, in my two lives, you know, when it was very pronounced and I was running around, you know, do, doing addict shit and then during the day type of thing, a completely different persona. So that persona was what I was, I guess, projecting. I had this perfect right. ideal, probably based on my father, and you know that I had to live up to that I could never possibly. Mm-hmm. I'll never be my father. I'll never be whoever I'm idolizing. Um, and then, so because of that, uh, you know, being uncomfortable with who you, you know who you truly are, then it like withers and dies. Like the real you gets so lost, right? Trying to live up to all of these false selves. That and they, but they, and the crazy thing is, like they're they're just rules that you put on yourself. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like you you have decided that the world has to be a certain way, uh, and you have to behave a certain way because if you don't behave that way, then people aren't gonna gonna like you. They're not gonna love you. They're not gonna like feel, yeah. you know, warmth towards you. You know, I, I, I was, that really kind of hit me over the head because I, I can, I veer into perfectionism mm. all the time. And, you know, I, I never really thought about why that was. I always thought I was just like a slightly anal person. Yeah. But now I start to, you know, now I'm wondering like, is this, is this what's going on here? Like, is, yeah. You know, and I used to always say, you know, if you search for the perfect, if you strive for the perfect, you lose the good. And I think, you know, we're, we're all guilty of this, but 
I feel like I'm, I was doing better than I now believe I'm doing. <laughs> reading now this. that you've read the book. I thought I had really <laughs> evolved, you know. I thought I had moved past this. I mean, I, I talked about a couple of weeks ago how I've unified my uh, myself. I'm the person I'm projecting, but I'm still feeling like, you know, I need to do some more work, a lot more work. I mean, the source of so much of the inner conflict that we have is because of our, you know, we, we demand that life as it is conform to this inner vision that we have about how it should be, um, which of course sets us up for disappointments because nobody will ever, you know, people are autonomous individuals. They're never going to act like we want them to act because of the set of rules that we've created inside of our own heads. It's it's like an absurdity to to think that people are going to like conform to the way that we think they should be. Right. And yet, like I didn't even realize that I was doing that until I saw this, and it kind of hit me over the head. All that Buddhist meditation was apparently for naught. Yeah, <laughs> and this goes—it goes back to everybody's relationships. I mean, marriages. This is one of the main. If I look back on a lot of our fights early on when we were just kind of getting used to being married, it was a lot of that. Like one person has an idea of what the proper gender roles are, like what's a man supposed to do? What's yeah. a wife supposed to do? How are we supposed to act in public? What are we supposed to do in private? Right. Or whatever. And so one one side is coming up with all of these, you know, sets of perfections that they're striving for that was built up over time, watching their parents, watching who, whoever, yeah. you know, wherever they saw it. And then the other person has a completely separate list right. of experiences. And... um I think part of making a marriage work is <laughs> coming together, you know, a little bit more and saying, you know, my standards, my, maybe it's not going to work for this, you right. know, and we come come up with a real compromise. You know, you're not doing emotional fusion, which he talked about in the book, which is trying to be yes. exactly the same. No, you can't do uh, that. You have to maintain. That's your, unhealthy too. You have to maintain your, your boundary on the things, you know, that are important to you and also respecting the other persons while not fusing with it, so to speak. That's very hard to do. Yeah. You know, cause you're always, cause going it's a very de- balanced, delicate line. But, and you know, I remember reading that and, and he gives a lot of examples uh, about, you know, couples and, and so forth who disagree. And I, and well, I think that's, you know, valid for relationship advice. Like I wish he, I kind of wish he had made it a little more, universal to just every human relation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's it's very pronounced in marriages. It is. Relationships. So it's easy for most people to say, oh yeah, that. Right. Um, But I mean, but this is, this is something that comes up like. Sure. In every interaction with another human being, like everybody's walking around with this set of pre-written. Right. You know, what they think are objective rules that they've written for themselves. Like we could look at our relationship and, and take a look like, are, what are, are we doing this? Like, you know, we, we hmm. agree a lot, but maybe... Is that I, just to both of us avoid conflict? <laughs> I think it, it might be that. I was thinking... Do we I'm need like, to fight more? I, maybe. I was thinking we might need to fight more. Oh, um, but, you know, you know, it's in... Like you said, it's not just um, in marriages and, and that it's in everyday relationships. You know, respecting that other person's, you know, uh, what they are trying to do and not going over and, and like absorbing it, but maintaining your own standards for happiness and what you're going for. Right. And then, you know, kind of co, uh, just working together and not, yeah, it's very difficult. And he says that in the book that n- nobody has perfect emotional sobriety. Um, but yes. he does lay out steps and a process for, 
you know, working with this and sort of getting past it. He suggests making an emotional inventory and maybe going into the details of that are a little beyond what we can do here in the amount of time that we have. So, I, you know, if you're reading the book, you're following along at home, you should check that out because uh, I think that's a useful exercise. Um, yeah, he gives, um, he says there's a four-step process. Um, yeah, that's, the, that's in the second smart thing. Okay. Which is stop allowing others to edit your reality. Okay, so, uh, all right, so the, the second, stop letting others edit your reality. This really resonated with me because... Uh, I'm learning how to do that, you know, and I've been working on that in my recovery, not knowing that this is was part of this book. But, you know, tr- when somebody says something to you or behaves a certain way, not letting it like totally fuck my day and my week, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And not only that, it's also not letting circumstances like this morning, we had all the internet issues. And I was really like, okay, now it's time to go to work because mm-hmm. I'm going to start to get upset. I'm going to start to, it's going to ruin my day. And I had to like really say, you know what? That's neither good nor bad. It's just, it happened. And now right. here's how I'm going to fix it. And it's okay. You know, and I don't have to panic and I don't have to be upset. Um, and so, you know, being able to separate yourself from like, you know, if your wife or boyfriend, you know, has a certain kind of attitude it's not saying like it's something that I did. You know, you don't make it about you, right? Which is part of the next. Uh, well, that's that's the whole thing, right? I mean, there's lots of situations where you feel one way about something, and then somebody comes in and influences you, and all of a sudden you find yourself changing your feelings or opinions based on what the other person is is doing. You yeah, know? and so you, again, you're sort of losing your your center. Um, cause that's what emotional sobriety is, right? You know, yourself, you know, where your center is, you, you can hold on to your center. Um, and you know, the problem is the emotional dependency. Uh, you know, it pulls for a certain kind of togetherness or connection. Um, you know, it makes us all want to feel the same and think the same. And if we're close to somebody, you know, we don't want to create conflict unnecessarily. Um, yeah, you have to stick you know. to your standards, and you know. But, but if, you also demand that your partner or friend feel the same way. That's right. the, that's the thing, is <laughs> right? You I should mean, be emotionally differentiated too. Yeah, we should both <laughs> right. be. God How dare me. you be like further back on the evolutionary <laughs> emotional scale than I am? Uh, but like you said, I mean that that kind of closeness where you you demand that your partner or your friend feel the same way that you do, uh, or and if they don't conclude that there's like some kind of fatal flaw in the relationship, is right. like it's it's emotional fusion. It's not like genuine intimacy, right? Yeah, I mean, but there's also like when just when you were reading that, I was thinking like you know, what about if somebody makes like some good points? What if you're you know having a discussion about something and you then believing, you, but you're choosing, you're yeah. allowing, you're choosing to be influenced as opposed to being influenced without. Right. And so this, this is part of the emotional sobriety that Dr. Berger talks about. It's the, the differentiation. And he, he talks a lot about this word and how, what it means when it comes to cells. And he, he makes a lot of, you know, analogies and things. Um, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, because if, if you're emotionally sober, so to speak, it means that you're confident or you're comfortable with your own standards for what makes you happy and the things you want out of life, regardless of what a partner um, or a friend or a YouTube influencer mm-hmm. is thinking or saying or a politician. Um, but I'd say being open 
still to other ideas while maintaining your own individuality. And this is true maturity, right. emotional maturity. And Dr. Berger would argue that uh, emotional sobriety is necessary to maintain like a truly uh, happy, recovered life, uh, and just life in general. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think it, I agree. I tend to agree. I mean, it's okay to have uh, different feelings and beliefs about an event than the person that you're yeah. close to. It's and if fine. somebody, and this is really big right now with in politics and people arguing, it's just like just because the pre- and, and you know we're all guilty of this for the other side. You know, when they have a viewpoint or or they believe something that. I either find offensive or don't believe in um, learning how to, you know, not let that upset me emotionally. Right. It's just the way that they're seeing it. Maybe you think they're wrong. That's fine. You know, um, problem starts coming when you feel like that person is doing real damage to other human beings. And, mm-hmm. and where do we draw the line? And I think we all sort of know where we're drawing the line deep down inside. Yeah. You know, when you, you know, when you hear it, you'll know it. Um, but this has really put me on a, a definitely a better trajectory. I feel like in my um, in my recovery, you know, thinking about he talks a lot about um, like the way that you're perceived by other people and how you perceive how you're being perceived, mm-hmm. and it's kind of it's very meta, you know. It, it really is, but you know, you have to sort of look at it. I mean. He comes up with like a lot. He he's very big on like worksheets and four step processes to, you know, figure things out. Um, again, I think that's a little more than than we have time to go into. Um, he does have a four step process for not letting people edit your own reality, and I think we talked about most of it. Is like you become aware of and acknowledge your feelings, uh, your hurt and disappointment and anxiety. You reflect on the cause of the feeling until you understand its source. Then you reflect on what it is you really want in a non-anxious and calm fashion. And finally, the fourth step is to respond to the event that triggered the feelings in a way that both affirms your personal boundaries and yet deals with the triggering event respectfully and responsibly. So, Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a really evolved way to deal with your emotions. Yeah, you know, it, it also seems completely unattainable. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? You know, and, uh, and I was rereading this book, studying it a little bit more when uh, I was doing our notes, and uh, on the smart thing four, um, which maybe we're jumping ahead, but maybe, you know, we have to. Um, he talks a lot about projections. And yeah, this man. really resonated with me. You hear this all the time uh, with, um, you know, armchair therapists saying things like, you're projecting. Right. And people use that a lot. But what does it really mean? Like, what does it mean to be projecting? Um, well, I mean, it means that you see in other people the things that, or like inside. Have, oh, okay. I have, you have a definition. A, all right, good. Let, so I'm not fumbling through my own. I actually brain. wrote this down. So what it says in the book is projection is a defense mechanism, and it is the act of ascribing to other people the very characteristics in ourselves that we find most unacceptable. Right. Pearls, who is I guess a writer or a doctor, he's quoting, says in projection. Then we shift the boundary between ourselves and the rest of the world a little too much in our favor, in a manner that makes it possible to disavow those aspects of personalities which we find difficult, offensive, or unattractive. So, if you see people as one thing, like they're judgmental, it means that you should look at how you are disavowing your own judgmental nature, and so on. Right. If you're complaining that somebody is like an asshole, like right. you maybe should look at 
Um, are you being an asshole? Right. Are, are you untrustworthy? And so he goes on and says, this is, you know, one thing we can do to sort of be more aware of our emotional sobriety. And, you know, when you start feeling a certain way about a certain person, uh, like, oh, that jerk is, you know, is, is being mean or something. Maybe you're being mean. Or if that person is too sarcastic that you're thinking that. Right. Look at how sarcastic you're being. It's like when they find like a... a a Catholic priest who's really against uh, gays, like on Grinder, right? <laughs> right. right. Yeah, we yeah. see that all the time, and so, so with projection, it's this defense mechanism that you know through this step process. Um, it, it's through self knowledge here, and, and a lot of times we've said in recovery, self knowledge, you know, doesn't really get you very far. Mm-hmm. But I'm starting to believe uh, that. I, I disagree. <laughs> uh, but this is something that they say, like you yeah. know, knowing doesn't help. You just have to do. Right. But once you get past a certain point, you really need to explore these things to, to continue with your recovery. But I think that's a very practical method for kind of looking at if you're doing projection, um, you know, by when you feel something about a certain person to quickly look at it. Uh, or as to- Eckhart Tolle would say, you're observing the thinker. Mm-hmm. You're stepping away from your thought and observing it. Right. Um, um, so it's hard to do with projection because so much of the stuff that we're projecting is not really part of our conscious thought process. Right. It's, it's, it's all like in the, in the subconscious. And by definition, subconscious is subconscious. Right. Um, so how can you be aware of it? So, so before we started reading this book, I was reading a lot about Carl Jung's ideas of doing shadow work. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Mm-mm. Like it's basically, um, so each person has their outward facing personality and then they have this shadow and the shadow is like their, Mr. Hyde to you, mm. to you being the Dr. Jekyll. So it's all that negative stuff that, that, you know, is part of us, but that we try not, not to acknowledge mm-hmm. is part of us. So it's like the shadow that we're walking around with. So doing shadow work is trying to identify with the shadow to bring these things up into the light. And one of the ways you can identify these things that are in your shadow is um, by considering what you're projecting, you know, mm. like, oh, by constantly saying, you know, that guy's a jerk. Well, you know, then you look at what, you know, why you, you that guy's condescending, you know, so that's maybe like I'm a, condescending. So you know? there are ways to get insight into your subconscious through your conscious behavior. Yeah. And so this is, I guess, telling us that, you know, here's one way to do it, you know, that maybe you don't, can't see or hear your subconscious, but, you know, you can see the symptoms of certain things mm-hmm. that are happening in your subconscious, right. like what he says when you're, that person's, you know, you know, too, too sarcastic type of thing. And then maybe I am, or that person's condescending. Um, like you ever, you ever wonder like why like some people you just have a really visceral dislike of when you, when you meet them? Yeah. You know, maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's something like it it resonates too closely with something that's going on inside of your own subconscious that you need to take a look at that. I mean, some people are just assholes. Right. True. (laughs) But you know, but it bear, definitely bears a little investigation, you know, in terms of why you have a strong reaction against a situation or a person. Yeah. You know? So, um, you know, this is an important step, I think, uh, towards, you know, lasting recovery and being healthy and happy, this emotional sobriety. Uh, send us an email uh, at MikeR at MiddleAgesRecovery.com and tell us what you think about uh, emotional sobriety. Are you reading the book? Um, now, this is not a book club, but we do review books once in a while, so it would be cool if you guys, um, you know, uh, maybe if you're reading it, and we could talk about it on the group, 
That Maybe we cool. can get Dr. Berger to come on. Dr. Hamburger? You know, because, do you remember a, f- a few months ago when we first decided to start doing these, these like, reviews of books and stuff? We yeah. said, you know, the, here's, here's the method to our madness. We're going to do reviews of these books, and then we're going to alert the authors that we've done them, and they can listen to them, and then they'll, maybe they'll come on the show. Yeah. And really that worked. It worked with... It worked with Joseph Naus, Right. Who we did a two-part series on his book that he liked. Yeah. And reached back out to us, and now he's going to be on the show. That's right. Did that's you know a, that? He's going to be on the show at the end of October. A ma- it's a major announcement. Joseph W. Naus is coming to New York. He is flying in to do the show with us. Uh, he's, he's a fan of the show. He liked the way we covered his books, and yeah. it's been really cool. We're very excited. So he's going to be here in studio, uh, Joseph <laughs> W. Now He'll also be our first in-studio guest, yeah. which is very An actual unusual. published author, you know. Right. Um, yeah. And so we're excited about that. Um, but I think we got to conclude our discussion on uh, yeah. 12 Smart Things to Do. Guys, go get the book. You'll really find it worthwhile. I, I, it kind of blew my mind. I don't know about you, Nat, but it really it crystallized a lot of things that were swirling around in my head and put mm. them all under the rubric of emotional sobriety, which, you know, yeah, good stuff. I really enjoyed it. And with that, we will be right back after these words. We're back. Okay. And the hands of time march on. The hands of time march on. And if you're still with us, thank you so much. You are now in the uh, the smaller group of people who continue to listen past 65%. So thank you. And you know what they come here for? What's that? Recovering the news. Yeah! Right. Recovering the news. Recovering Changed it up a little this week. That's it, Ron. I had a really hard time picking between two articles this week. The the, the one that I eventually picked was... Um, was it from SoberLiningsPlaybook.com? It was. Com? Yeah, that's that's my go-to source for uh, news I can use about recovery and uh, addiction. That was a good one. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that is our buddy Grant's uh, website, SoberLiningsPlaybook.com. Okay. Go there. Plug away. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> the one that I passed by uh, was an intriguing story about how people in a country, certain country in Africa, I forget which one, are apparently taking, um, hmm, what is it? They're taking like rust chips from catalytic converters and cutting them up together with pills and snorting them to get high. Why didn't I think of that? I <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a new one. But apparently it's led to a, a rash of thefts of catalytic converters. For peop, junkies are like stealing car parts to scrape the, scrape the stuff off them to get high. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, that's the one I decided not to do. Oh, okay. uh, Because I haven't done a lot of recovery in the news. I've done a lot of like dying bad drug high. behavior yeah. in the news <laughs> lately. Guy gets drunk and dies. So, um, so this one, this is an article from a website whose link I'll put in the show notes and I don't have right here. I think it, it was a roundup of... Um, I put it at the end. You did? Okay. So it's... Um, Spectrum Local News. Thank you. SpectrumLocalNews.com. Um, 
So law may, apparently lawmakers in New York State want to strengthen access to non-religious substance abuse treatment services. Uh, and they, there's a couple of politicians in New York who have proposed this as legislation to give people an option to refer people to non-religious-based uh, support groups. Hmm. So uh, under this proposed legislation, New York courts would be under a requirement to inform defendants of non-religious substance abuse treatment programs um, it is proposed in the wake of a spike of overdose deaths that have coincided with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our legislation protects New Yorkers' First Amendment rights and sets them on a path to recovery that aligns with their beliefs. Uh, it is important now more than ever, as we've seen substance abuse disorders skyrocket during the pandemic. We have a diverse group of organizations behind us, and I look forward to working with them to pass this common sense bill. That was... Um, Senator Harvey, Assemblyman Harvey Epstein... Um, yeah, so it would amend New York's criminal procedure and penal law to create a process for courts that would allow them, uh, a defendant or a person on probation required to complete a substance abuse treatment program, uh, if they have an objection to a religious element of the program to select a non-religious one. Uh, and if the defendant does so, the court must find, must find an alternative equivalent program in which the defendant has no objection on religious grounds. Uh, Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's good. I mean, the problem is there's not enough of those. So, like, you can't do this federally because you don't have necessarily. I mean, well, I mean, it's a chicken or egg thing, right? Yeah. I mean, all AA has sort of a monopoly on, yeah. you know, they went to the courts and they lobbied the courts yeah. to say, send them to us. They did the work. Yeah. Well, and, uh, there they are. But, but it's interesting. Um, the one person they interview for the article is the president of smart recovery USA who says the addiction the main dude, they're the biggest alternative. I think they are, uh, who says people in the criminal justice system must have access to secular recovery support as required by constitutional case law. So I think that's a positive step. I hope the bill passes. I hope it gets signed into law and, and people have other options. Yeah, I'm I'm a big proponent of it. I have to say when I was very entrenched in, um, 12 step community and in all of that, I treated other forms of recovery with such suspicion and <laughs> mild um, level of contempt. Contempt, yeah, it's this weird, and I see it today. Uh, we don't get a lot of um, angry emails from people like that, but I know sometimes I'm talking to people, and you can hear that and mm-hmm. it's anger that comes out. Mm-hmm. It's a real anger, just the very notion that there could be a way that isn't this twelve-step way that you can get recovery. It incenses certain people I think they're projecting uh, that could be projecting this is not emotionally sober and that's why like I think part of my recovery is why we're doing this show when we talk about all these other recovery methods it's not just about what my recovery method was right it's, you know educating myself and everyone about all of the options and that they're you know they're worth pursuing and they should not be met with contempt no there's so many ways to skin that squirrel mm. recovery in the news Yeah. <laughs> Doing it on both ends. Oh, right yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got to keep the audience engaged at this point. Um, I wrote <laughs> Week in Weird for the last time. I hope not. By Tim Banal. Ladies and gentlemen. Wait, why did I write ladies and gentlemen? 
<laughs> uh, pop star Demi Lovato discusses UFO contact experiences and alien <laughs> beings. Now, she's well known for doing a bunch of recovery shit, right? Didn't she? Like, she's the California sober one. Yeah, she. this is the Demi Lovato, if you don't know about her. She famously has struggled with drug addiction and falling off the wagon and getting recovery and then saying, I'm California sober, which means... She smokes uh, weed and drinks. And drinks, so yeah. not so weird at all is the yeah. other way of looking at it. Right. Um, so here's the story. Leading up to the premiere of their new docuseries, Unidentified, which is centered around searching for UFO answers, Demi, Lova- Demi Lovato has revealed more about their experiences allegedly contacting the mysterious phenomenon and shared their thoughts on what the alien agenda might be. <laughs> Do tell. In an interview with Entertainment Weekly, the pop star explained that the program was inspired by a, quote, mind-blowing experience that unfolded during a stargazing trip for their 28th birthday. According to Lovato, we tried to do this protocol where you make contact and all of a sudden something showed up directly above us in the sky. Is that what she sounds like? No, I don't know. I just <laughs> I wanted to <laughs> um, She's talking about the CE5 protocol, by the way. I actually know what that is, developed by uh, Dr. Stephen Greer. The wonder site, they said, consisted of a series of lights that seemed to form the shape of a question mark before suddenly vanishing into the night sky. Asked if the experience was frightening, the pop star marveled that their response was quite the opposite, musing that, quote, the feeling you get from these beings is so warm and loving and accepting that it's just overwhelming joy that happens when you're not able, when you're able to make contact. I guess they didn't select her for anal probing then. Yeah. <laughs> you had to go there. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what happens. You get picked up by aliens and they stick things up your ass. Well, right? So that's Demi Lovato. Um, you're I not answering me. What? <laughs> I don't know if she got it in the ass or not. <laughs> I'm not asking about her. <laughs> I'm asking about alien abduction in general. Isn't that the... Isn't, not always. Not always. That, some that's just old time... That's alien abduction classic. Yeah. You, you get anally probed. You're talking... Organs are removed. The reason for that is that Benny and Barney Hill were a really famous couple that was in the news about being abducted. They were regressed um, by hypnosis, and he reported being anally probed, and that was in the 60s, so it's been sort of part of the... I think uh, maybe that anal probing was not by a UFO. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> right, probably a, a deep black government program. Um, yeah. Okay. And so thank you, Demi Lovato. And, yeah, thanks. Um, Maybe the last time we do Weekend Weird, I'm thinking about putting um, maybe Munster Speak in this spot, um, and maybe people will actually listen. Let us know what you think about that. I don't think it's a good idea. We'll see. I want to hear more Tim Banal every week. Weekend Weird. Well, that about does it for today. Uh, I know I had a great time. Did you? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much <laughs> no for listening. No place I'd rather be. <laughs> Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us at twat you twit. Support your favorite show. Drop a five-star review. Join our private Facebook group. Buy a T-shirt. And more people are buying T-shirts, so they're starting to go. Yeah. Uh, simply write us and say <laughs> Not hello. Not fast enough. We love meeting new monsters and chopping it up on the Facebook group. And finally, the best way to help the show is to... Tell a friend. Share it with a friend. If you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. That's progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good, kids.